Um, we're going through our Life Together series still, and uh, those are some Life Together issues, you know, Life Together, everybody comes together, got to figure out parking, got to figure out all those things, but there's some other Life Together stuff that the Bible talks about as well. Um, so I'm going to read Titus 2 for us, and, uh, and then we'll jump in. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach Encourage and rebuke with all authority, and do not let anyone despise you or dismiss you. Um, Titus chapter 2. That was fun. There's some things in there where you almost can't help but start laughing. There's some things in there, I'm sure, that ruffled a few feathers. Um, there's some things in, in there where some of you are like, I <laughs> can't wait to hear what he says about this, because he's getting emails this Sunday. Um, because what, what Paul is teaching here, what he's, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. And then what he says in the end is, um, these are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Don't let anyone dismiss you. So what Paul is encouraging young Titus to do is to teach these things um, boldly and clearly, no matter what the society around is saying about these things. Don't water it down. Don't compromise. You gotta, you gotta make sure you continue to paint the picture clearly of where we're supposed to go. Because if, if we don't give people the right thing to aim at, there's no chance they're gonna hit it. And so there's a challenge as a preacher, as a teacher, as a parent, as a student, as an employer, as an employee, as a person living in this present age, I like that he says, he says, we gotta live godly lives in this present age, and he was writing 2,000 years ago. So the, the, the present age has shifted a little bit. But the, still, the call is to live godly lives in this present age. And, and, it, and if we do this, then, then basically, the, the, what he's saying is that the puzzle will come together and the picture that it will show will be beautiful. 
But if we, as the people of God, don't necessarily do these things and we water it down or try and shift it, then the, the picture's gonna be distorted and it's not gonna help anybody because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Supreme Court doesn't know what's best for humanity. The government officials don't know what's best for humanity. Social media doesn't know what's best for humanity. There's a lot of people saying this is the way, this is what will lead. The, the commercials, the beer commercials do not know what is the best for humanity. But God who created and fashioned humanity is trying to tell you this is the way that will lead to fullness of life. This is the way, walk in it. And, and if it's hard, then work hard. Don't dumb it down or water it down. If it's challenging to some societal issue or something you were raised with, then be challenged and adjust. Don't say, oh, that's too hard or that doesn't fit in our cultural narrative today, so we're not gonna say it. We're people of the book. We believe this is the best guide for humanity in this present age. And so that's why we're teaching it and trying to do it boldly. But he's talking about... Um, Older men, older women, younger men, younger women, how they kind of interact, how everybody comes together. And that's what this series is about. It's about family. It's about church family. It's about doing life together and how that can be a real challenging thing. We need help. We need guidance in order to do that well because there are challenges, there are difficulties. And family for you might be something that has been, you know, a joyful thing and it brings up, you know, feelings of happiness and, and all of that. But family for you could be the opposite as well. Um, I'm gonna read you a country song and a rap song right now. Um, the country song, of course, is, is, is the happier one than the rap song. Um, but uh, my, daughter, my daughter loves this song so much. She's gotten so country these days. Um, but anyway, so it's from Jordan Davis and it's, it's called The Next Thing You Know. And I, I, I churched it up just a little bit, but um, it's mostly just the same thing. You swear that you're staying single, but the next thing you know, you meet a girl at church, and the next thing you know, you get her laughing and you go on some dates. The next thing you know, you're saving money like never before just to spend it all at a jewelry store, getting down on one knee on her mama's porch, just praying she don't say no. Because the next thing you know, you're wearing scrubs and a funny white hat, and the doctor's saying how you're doing their dad, and no one's ever called you that, and you take that drive home slow. And the next thing you know, it's first steps, first dates, first car. It's 1101, wondering where they are. You're saying that USC's too far and it's amazing how fast 17 years go. I got a 17 year old right now, it's hitting me deep. Um, and the next thing you know, you get to know your wife again and you're more in love than you've ever been with lots of years of remember wins and still some down the road. And then the next thing you know, you got a yard full of your kids' kids you take them to church and you teach them to fish. <laughs> and you tell them stories every chance you get about how fast this life down here can go. And everyone in the room went, oh, that feels good. That feels good. That's healthy. That's right. That's good. That's beautiful. But there are a bunch of you in the room who whenever I said the next thing you know, <laughs> you were like, here comes the bomb. <laughs> The next thing you know, you split. The next thing you know, you're kid. You next, there's a lot of other things that can happen in this story. There's a lot of heartbreak that can happen. And some of us might have grown up 
in the way that Marshall Mathers grew up. Some of you know who that is. Um, but put yourself in my position, just try to envision witnessing your mama popping pills in the kitchen, yelling that someone's always going through her purse when stuff is missing, going through public housing systems, victims of a syndrome. My whole life I was made to believe I was sick when I wasn't. Till I grew up, now I blew up, it makes you sick to your stomach. Wasn't it the reason you made that CD for me, Ma? So you could just try to justify the way you treated me, Ma? But guess what, you're getting older now and it's cold when you're lonely. And Nathan's growing up so quick he's gonna know that you're phony. And Hallie's getting so big now, you should see her, she's beautiful, but you'll never see her, she won't even be at your funeral. And that's another reality to family. That can be very painful, and even in the good ones, even in the perfect ones or whatever, there can still be a lot of pain. And the same is true in church family. The same is true in church family. Church family can be this place that really does breed life and goodness, but it can also be a place where you get great wounds. And you get great pain. We're working with a, a group of people that are planting a church in, out just outside of Dublin, Ireland. People that we got to interact with when we were there. And, and, on a, and I'm on a, on a WhatsApp call with the whole group of them. And, and we met with each of them individually. And that's one of the things we asked was, what's been your history with the church? What's been your experience with the community of God? And all of them have, you know, stories to tell of some good things and, and some real hard things. And it's true, it's challenging. And what sociology teaches us is that healthy families really do help create healthy adults. And broken families really do create broken adults. And the same is true that church family can be healthy and it can create healthy followers of Christ. And church families can be really broken and cause real brokenness in people's walk with Christ. And so we at Living Streams, we, we envision we want to be a healthy local church. We want it badly. We don't care if we're the hippest. We don't care if we're the biggest. We don't care if we're, we're even the happiest. We want to be healthy. We want to be a place that people come and plug their lives into this, and they'll find some healing. They'll find some help. They'll find some health. And that's something we really strive to do, and we have the scriptures to help us aim in that direction. And... Uh, and so here in Titus chapter two, Paul is actually trying to help Titus help the community he's overseeing become a healthy local church. And uh, in Titus one, we get a little perspective as what's happening here. Titus one verse five says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you may straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Um, so we're getting insight into what was happening. Paul was a guy who went on missionary journeys. He was an apostle to the Gentile world the non-Jew world, and he was a Jewish uh, man himself, but he felt like God was calling him to go love and care for people who are outside that. And so he would just get on a boat, and he would sail to some faraway sea or a shore, and he would get off on the shore, and he would go into a town, and, and he would do his best to help present the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, the way that Jesus opened up for people, and the way that Jesus teaches us to live and all of the grace of God that is there for anyone who wants to follow him. And it was amazing because really neat things would happen in those communities. And, and sometimes he would be there three months, sometimes he would be there three years, different times he was different places. But in this one particular island of Crete, 
He was there and he had brought along a guy named Titus, a young man that, that was going with him on the missionary journeys. And he said to Titus, I'm writing to you, I, I put you there in charge because I had to move on and I wanted you to finish putting all the things together that needed to be put together. Finish teaching that community in the ways of Jesus. And so he gives them a list. Basically in this, in, in, in chapter two, he gives them a list. And he, he, he breaks it out into older men, older women, younger men, younger women. And then he, in the last little section, he talks about the grace of God. And I love that because the, the truth is, is no matter what your situation growing up was, no, how, no matter how broken or challenging your family of origin was, no matter how challenging or broken your family today is, no matter how far away you feel from that Jordan Davis song or not, the grace of God loves to find broken things. In fact, the way Jesus said it, and it's a little offensive to some church folks sometimes, but Jesus said, yeah, he loves to see healthy people you know, maintain health. But heaven throws a whole different kind of party when broken things begin to be, be whole. Heaven throws a whole different kind of party. The grace of God is, is at its best when people who are broken begin to heal. Anybody got a story like that in here? Anybody, anybody experienced the grace of God and some of the healing and wholeness that comes to broken places? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it was cool. This week I was actually, I was hanging out with a guy who's not a, a follower of Christ. Um, and he, um, we were having this conversation. He was telling me about this or that in his life or telling me about this and that in the world. And I, it was fun because he kept saying things and I would go, oh, you know, there's a Bible verse that like explains that perfectly. And, and he was like, oh yeah. And so I actually was opening up the scripture and I was showing him, you know, this. And he'd go, wow, that, that, that's really that's amazing. And I was like, yeah, you know, it was written 2,000 years ago too. And he was like, wow, that's amazing. And he was like, we were off talking about something else and I showed him another thing and he goes, wow, that's amazing. He goes, you really, you really like, you really live like that? And I was like, well, I'm trying, you know, I do my best. And he, and he said this, he goes, you must be one of, one of the only people in the world that like knows this stuff and follows this stuff. <laughs> I was like, man, you need to go to church. <laughs> You, you need to go to church with me. You got to come in, man, and figure this thing out. Because no, you, I, I'm, every Sunday I'm in a whole group of people. There's just all kinds of people doing this. But it's, it's in his experience, he's just never really interacted with, with all of this stuff. He's never really experienced the grace of God. And uh, hopefully he will real soon, real soon, real soon. But anyways, that's what Paul is saying. Um, he says that, that to put things in order, you need to appoint elders. And, and in verse seven, those elders are to oversee and manage the, the God's household. And this is, again, this, there, there should be people who help God's community all kind of fit into the right places and come together. And we have an elder team here, just had an elders meeting on Wednesday. And it's cool, there's all these, these guys that have just devoted their lives. They're not on staff, they don't get a dime, they're just volunteers, but they meet these qualifications and they're really just doing their best to help help us figure out how to manage God's house in an appropriate way. Helping us make decisions, helping us um, have strategy, helping us hope and dream in the future, helping us when there's challenges. And then maybe sometimes there needs to be discipline in some things like that. 
It's just awesome. And, and yet these qualifications, I, I want all of you to just read and check out later on because even though these are qualifications for a leader or an elder in the house of God, I, I think there's something we should all aspire to. That we should all wanna kind of live into these things because it, again, it will just create more health in our, in our community. But one of the reasons Paul thinks it's so important is in verse 10, he says one of the challenges is that there are rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things that ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. And so basically what you have in the community of, of, of believers, actually in any situation, but even in the house of God, you have two forces at work. You have people that are committed to helping make sure that the household is managed well and comes together well and gets to shine out the picture that it's supposed to be. But then you also have people with a rebellious spirit. Sometimes they know it and doing it willfully and sometimes they don't, but they're actually you know, causing the thing to be pulled apart. And so there's this challenge that we have in, in, in life together. And, uh, and so in Titus chapter two is basically this Paul's solution to that. Um, so we'll go, we'll go through Titus two now. And first he talks to the older men. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-control, sound in faith and love and endurance. Now, I'm at a interesting stage of my life. I'm 46 years old. So I don't, I don't, I'm like, I don't know if I'm older man or younger man. And there's part of me that wanted to say, you know, he's probably talking to 47 and older in this passage. So you older men need to listen up. Um, but the truth is, is somewhere around 40 and definitely about 45, um, I think I crossed over. So I think I'm fully into older men at this point. And I'm not far into it, so it's still a little confusing sometimes, but there's definitely days where I'm like, I'm there. I'm there. I definitely, I definitely know that there are people, there are men younger than me who, when they see me, they, it's not confusing to them what category I'm in. It's very clear to them that I'm no longer in the younger man category. But, um, so I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm, ex I'm experiencing that, and I, I'm into it. I, I think it's cool. Um, I, and I'm saying all this now in the older men category because I'm not really gonna touch much on age when I talk about the older woman category. Um, you guys just, <laughs> just, just sort that one out on your own. Um, but here it says the older men are to be temperate. And, you know, there's some other things, but the temperate, I, I love this. I just, and this is, this is a hope for my life, a hope for all the older men here, is, is just that you become level. You just become solid. There's a time where it's like, oh, we get excited. Oh, we're just, oh, oh, but there's something that as we get to be older men, there just should be not so many highs and lows. And again, our society would tell us basically if you're not up and to the right all the time, hyped up, you know, going hard, it, then something's wrong. But, but that, that's, not, that's not true. I think that's what leads to midlife crisis. But I think the real goal of, of, of health, the real goal of holiness, what God is trying to do in our life is, is to get us to a place where we level out. We're solid, we're solid, we're safe. What my wife and my daughters need is they don't need me to be like, they just, they really need someone that's there that they can count on, because their life is full of that enough. And so as older men, we just need to get to, we just need to, get to a place where, where there's a contentment 
and there's, there's, there's like, I've kind of been through some things. I'm not gonna get too worried about things. I'm not gonna get too excited about some of those things because I've been down some of those roads. And it doesn't mean you're just kind of like stiff and stale, but you, you just, you're just leveled off. And that's what the church needs. We need a bunch of men that have leveled off. Um, and then he says, worthy of respect. Not demanding respect, but worthy of respect. That younger men want to be around you because of the life that you've lived. And they want to learn from you because of the the, the worthiness of your life. You're self-controlled. Interestingly enough, self-controlled comes up time and time again here. Sound in faith and love and endurance. So there's some things older men can aspire to. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Now, I don't know what kind of older women Paul was dealing with here, but they sound like a spicy group Here. Um, and again, older, he's probably talking to 150-year-old women or something like that, so we're, we're clear on that. Um, but he tells them to be reverent in the way that they live. Reverent in the way that they live. I think that's very interesting. And I get in, 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 the, in the levelness or in this reverence, maybe it feels like you're losing something where of, of youth. But honestly, there's nothing that's a little more awkward than seeing an older woman try and act like a young woman. Like it just, it's like, it, it doesn't fit well. It's confusing. And there's something about reverence, and it really does speak to holiness. And I, I wrote this about holiness, which the Bible, it's kind of the Bible word for health. Holiness sounds stiff and stale and boring and rigid and maybe even a little condescending. But holiness is better defined as whole, no pieces missing, everything set in order, exuding and portraying what was originally intended. Nothing distorted or confused, nothing lacking or missing, fully integrated and shining forth. No clogs or blocks or smudges. This is God's plan for us to make us holy. There's something about reverence there's something about a woman, an older woman, that's just given to reverence. That's just holy. That's strong. That's put together. Um, that's sound. And I think there's some temperance in that as well. But then he says not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine. And I, I don't, I mean, I don't know what's going on back then, but Definitely, um, I think older women is being encouraged by the Spirit of God through Paul um, to be careful with their words. Um, you always hear the church joke of, you know, the older women are like, well, we really need to pray for Susie because blah, 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 blah. And then just the gossip, just, it's just like co coding gossip in a, in a prayer request doesn't, it doesn't make it not gossip. It's still gossip. Um, but, the, but Paul's really encouraging the older women here to be real careful about their words and the stories they tell and the things they say. And he's telling them to lay off the wine. So there you go. Um, yeah. And then lastly, he says that they are to teach what is good. And uh, 
I think it's interesting that Paul's writing this because we know in other parts of Paul's writings, he talks about women learning in silence and he talks about a woman not teaching or usurping authority over a man. And I think those scriptures are valid and we have to unpack those correctly. But here in this specific passage, he's talking to older women and he's telling them to teach what is good. And then some people will say, but yeah, it's attached to uh, they can urge the younger women to love their husband. But there's a separation there. He's telling the women that they are to teach what is good. And and I really want to encourage the older women here, teach what is good. Teach us what you've learned. Faith Cummings is one of the, the best teachers around here. She's taught me so much. I'm not saying she's an older woman, but she's older than me. My mom was older than me every day of my life. And she taught me the Bible. It's one of the main reasons I feel comfortable with the Bible. She was a great Bible teacher. My wife is an awesome teacher. She's a super good teacher. So women, you know, work with all the scriptures for sure, but, but here Paul right here saying, teach what is good. And then also he says that the older women should urge the younger women, and here's the list for younger women, love their husbands and children, be self-controlled and pure, be busy at home, be kind and be subject to their husbands. (laughs) What kind of present age are you living in, man? Um, Moving on. Um, What? No, there's, there's a lot here. Interestingly enough, on the older women, it's the only category that doesn't say be self-controlled. And I, I think there's something really cool about that. Um, I know some, some older women that are just, they've, they're just living just like that, and it's so cool to be around them. Um, but the younger women are to love their husbands and children. Now, I think that's true in every, every age that we live in. Um, but in, in Paul's present age, there definitely was a little bit different situation for younger women. Um, younger women who are of marriageable age would be given to a man to be married, arranged marriage, all that type of thing. I think it's a great idea. I'm trying to make a, have a comeback because I have three daughters, but it's not working real well. Um, but, but yeah, so there was a little difference. So sometimes, uh, well, the younger women, they would, they would be, they, they were basically you know, given to these men, and sometimes it would be a good situation, sometimes it would not be a good situation. Sometimes there might have been a little hope for love, and sometimes there was no love at all. And yet Paul is saying to them, hey, in the situation you're in, you should love the ones that the Lord has put in your life, the ones that the Lord has given you to. You should make the most of it. You should love them and serve them. Um, You should be self-controlled and pure, you should be busy at home. And I think obviously, you know, this is a prophecy about online jobs that Paul, no, just kidding. I'm not, just kidding about that. <clears throat> but, he, but he's saying busy at home. And obviously in that day and age, for sure, you know, the woman would be spending most of her time at home. And he was just saying, don't waste the time. Be productive. Be busy. And then uh, be kind and be subject to their husbands. Um, and then he, this is, he adds, and this is the first time we have a so that so that no one will malign the word of God. And we'll talk a little bit about the so that's in a bit, but um, it's not just, you know, as because of some sort of like oppressive kind of cultural mandate, but it's actually when we live in these ways, there's a, there's a, there's a result that will come from it. Um, 
So again, I'm happy to have emails and questions on those type of things, but, um, but this, is, this is what the scriptures are teaching. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. That's all he says for young men. It's like, you guys are out of control. Just get it under control. I know you cannot multitask. I know you can't take in a lot right now. Just get it under control. Um, I love the insurance companies that they've studied, all these things, you know, uh, all humanity and all these things, all these disasters, and they say that the 18-year-old man is the most dangerous human being on the planet. <laughs> and every 18-year-old man or older says, I can't argue with that. I can't argue with that. So anyways, Paul's alluding that, to that as well. But he says some other things to Timothy, who was a young man that we can add to that list. In everything, set them example by doing what is good, in your teaching, so show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say to us. And I think this is very interesting because what he's saying to, Timothy, or to Titus here um, and to young men as a whole is that they should show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech. And I, I think... What I want to encourage the young men here, and maybe the older men to help encourage the young men, is that right now in your life, you got a lot of energy, you got a lot of things going on, um, you want to have a lot of fun, and, and there's something that, that the scriptures would teach, that Paul would teach here, there's something about integrity, which is basically making sure that what you do in private matches what you do in public, that when you say you're gonna do something, you actually do it. I, I just cannot tell you how much that will help you for the rest of your life if you can focus on that. Just being someone who says, yes, I'll be there at seven, and then you're there at seven. I, I mean, sad to say, employers take that as, bam, this is the greatest employee I've ever had in my life. Integrity will do you so much better than trying to get away with things or to live two different lives. And then he says that there's a seriousness that he's calling Titus to. And I think this has to do, I've met with some young, I've met some young men in our church right now that I just, I'm so encouraged by because they're taking serious this stage of life. You know, they're 18, they're 19, they're 20, and they're trying to, you know, find jobs. They're trying to get educated. They're trying to learn things. They're asking people to mentor them. They're asking people to teach them. They just, they're, they're serious about this stage of life, not saying, oh, I'll get serious someday. They're actually saying, no, there's something that I can gain now that's going to help me later on if I can get those things now. And right now is one of the best times you'll have to kind of explore and to try because the consequences won't be that huge in the young man's stage. So there's a seriousness that Paul is saying. And again, it's not a stiff, stoic, kind of boring, not allowed to have fun, but it's also saying don't, don't miss the opportunities that you're given right now to really grow in strength. Trust me, when you get a wife, when you get some kids, you're gonna need to be strong. When you get into certain work environments, you're gonna be strong, and now's the time for you to grow in some of that strength, that maturity. And you'll really be happy you do. And lastly, he says, soundness of speech. And I think there's something cool about that, that you should really pay attention to the words that come out of your mouth because they're actually gonna, they're actually gonna help people decide if you could be trusted or not. They're gonna help people decide if they want you on the team or not. Out of the 
mouth the heart speaks is what Jesus said. And so there's just some encouragement there for the young men. Um, and again, so that, uh, there's a so that there as well. And then he says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything. Try to please them, not talk back to them, not steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Again, in this present age that Paul is referring to, um, having slaves was not an uncommon thing. Um, and, and so he was even saying to the slaves, hey, when, when, when you're in that situation, you know, whether it's a good thing or not, here's some things that you can do that will really help you in the long run but it'll also make sure that the word of God stays attractive. The things of God are attractive. And, and, it, and it's interesting because you know, he's addressing you know, men, women, and, and slaves here, which would be very uncommon for someone in, in his day and age that you would address the men and then the men would take care of the rest. But the community of faith, the Christians that were coming around in these communities were made up of men, they were made up of women, and they were made up of slaves. And what was so unique about that is because that's the gospel. The gospel levels the playing field. And so women and slaves were actually coming to the gospel in such massive numbers because no one had ever talked to them about grace. No one had ever talked to them about having a place at the table. But here this message of Jesus was that he loves everyone. And if you come, no matter what your station in life, no matter what you've done right or wrong, you come and you have a full seat at the table as a son and daughter of God. You are an heir to all that God has given through Christ his son. And so the, the women and the slaves had never really had someone talk to them like that. And they wanted to be around this guy Jesus and his people. And again, there was a so that. So the three so that's, um, so that the, no one will malign the word of God, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say to us, and so that in every way you will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Um, on Instagram this last week, uh, I, not I noticed that someone made a comment on one of my messages from a couple weeks ago, and I, I actually appreciated it, but um, what he was saying is, you're saying that you know, Christians are the, are, are the only ones who can be generous, and you're saying non-Christians can't be generous, and that's not what I was saying at all. Um, but, but, but it was just kind of, I sat back and I was thinking about where he's coming from and, 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 and in his perspective, it was offensive to hear that because he's, he's seen no difference in the lives of the Christians and the lives of the non-Christians in the area of generosity. And so his point is totally valid. But what I was actually saying is that we as Christians should up the generosity so intensely so that people who see it will go, what's wrong with those people? Or they'll be surprised by it, or they'll be confused by it. But if we live lives of generosity that are no different than those who aren't following Christ, we malign the word of God. And if we live according to what these things are saying, it's going to be this puzzling thing where, where people are gonna say, what is going on over there? What's and when they see the community that's living correctly in all these ways, they're gonna be amazed at it. But if we don't, then we're maligning the word of God. We're confusing the puzzle. We're not fitting it together. And so when the world looks at it, they think, that's a mess, man. Why would I wanna follow Jesus? And then he also says that, they may, that those who oppose you may be ashamed. I was thinking about Jesus on the cross here. Jesus has been through horrific, horrific sin, total injustice. He's dying on this cross. 
and uh, the Romans are there, and the, and the Pharisees are there, and, and they're spitting at him, they're accusing him. Um, and yet the way that Jesus conducted himself, even in this total time of injustice and pain, caused one of the Roman guards, one of the Romans that was there, to say truly this was the Son of God. He saw the way that Jesus was conducting himself, and it moved him to say, man, we got this wrong. That really was the Son of God. And so this is why it's so important for us to live into these things, to begin to conduct ourselves in a worthy manner. And then lastly, that every, every way that they will make the teaching of God um, our Savior more attractive. And that was what was just fun is when I was sitting with my friend who's not a Christian and I was sharing Bible verses with him that, was, that were kind of just blowing his mind a little bit going, oh yeah, 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 that, that seems right. Not what these guys are saying, but that seems right. That seems right. And it was just, it was so attractive to, to hear that there were, there were people that were living according to this way, even though he'd never interacted with them. Um, and so we'll, we'll conclude now with this last little passage. I love, Paul gives us all these things which may or may not seem heavy to you, maybe it may or not seem challenging to you, these things that we're supposed to live into. And then he spends the last little section just talking about the grace of God. The grace of God, because it's the grace of God that invites us into the family of God, and then it's the grace of God that helps us grow in maturity and health to be the people that actually can be called by the name of God, and then it's the grace of God that actually covers us when we fall short as well. The grace of God is the greatest gift there has ever been in humanity. And the grace of God is what Jesus came to give us. And here Paul just goes off on the grace of God. He just starts saying all these things that the grace of God that Jesus brought into our lives. And there's six different things. And I'm just gonna read these over us. They're really good news. The grace of God redeems us and purifies us from all wickedness. Again, I don't know what kind of wickedness you've experienced or wickedness you've perpetrated. But no matter how much it is or how horrible it is, it's not more powerful than the grace of God. Not even close. And not only does the grace of God purify us, but it actually redeems those things. It actually redeems those things. And that's an amazing miracle. And uh, some people in this room have experienced that myself included. The grace of God makes us God's very own people. It doesn't just make us kind of, oh, yeah, you, you're, you're kind of a messed up one, so you sit in the back and everybody else, you come up here because you didn't mess up quite so much. No. The grace of God takes, takes us who've messed up a lot and brings us all the way to the head of the table. The grace of God makes us eager to do what right. This is one of my favorite things about the grace of God. As Jesus doesn't just wash away and cleanse all of those things, but he actually begins, his grace works its way into our lives, and it begins to even change our desires and our motivations. I remember, I remember how self-centered I was before I really started following Christ. I was so good at me. And if you weren't good at me, then I had a problem with you. And there was something that happened as I really began to follow Christ, as I began to let his grace work into my life. I woke up and there were a few times where all of a sudden I really wanted to do something for somebody else. 
And I just started stopped stop thinking about myself so much. And it's kind of grown and grown. The grace of God gives us an eagerness to do what is good. The grace of God offers salvation to all people. The grace of God is not just for some. It's for everyone. That's what's so fun to sit down and talk with a non-Christian and just be like, hey, grace of God's for you too. Whether you take it or not, it's just right there. All you gotta do is grab it. You don't have to do a lot of things to earn it. Just gotta say yes and start walking. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, self-control. The grace of God helps us live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So again, the grace is not just to cover, but the grace actually conforms us. It transforms us at the same time. And that's this mystery, mystery, mystery of what Jesus did on the cross. That's opened a new way for us. Um, I feel like we should be shouting a little bit right now. I feel like that was some really good news, and maybe I didn't put it out quite right, but, um, but I, hope you, I hope you either are rejoicing about the grace of God that has come into your life, or you're really feeling hungry for the grace of God right now.